listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to the book of John in your Bible, the Gospel of John. And um, we're kind of in the habit of not putting the scripture on the screen to kind of encourage you or force you, whatever, however you want to look at it, of, of looking at the text with your own Bible, whether that Bible is an electronic iPhone or iPad or whatever you have, or if it's an actual book Bible like I have, I'm kind of old-fashioned, but um, anybody else old-fashioned? Does anybody else bring an actual Bible book to church? Yes! Look how many of you! Yes! Of course you do! You're Sunday schoolers! You're nerds! Me too! Um, but let's read, uh, let's read this passage. It's a very uh, famous, uh, very, uh, uh, I guess... Um, well-known passage of Scripture. It's John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And then I'm going to skip down to the conclusion of this passage about the Word, because who is the Word? Jesus. Yeah, where it's, Jesus is the Word of God it, it talked about in this passage. And so skipping to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so let's pray this morning. Let's open up our time to Him, the, the one who has made Himself flesh, the one who has come on behalf of God, who was God. And so, Jesus, we come before you, we worship you, we praise you as the Word of God. We praise you that you, God, came down. You didn't um, leave us with nothing, but you yourself came to this earth, uh, lived as a human being, suffered, died for us and for our sins. And God, we believe that as we study the Bible this morning and look at passages, God, be with us. Show us, your, show us um, truth, guide us through this process of learning about you. We love you. We do praise you, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. Was anybody at the Millfall Retreat last weekend? Woo woo. Me too. So I'm going to recap Fall Retreat and then try to, to work that recap into the sermon as a sermon illustration. Hopefully I can do it. But if you weren't at the Millfall Retreat, maybe you heard some stories um, from other people. You're like, hey, how was the Millfall Retreat last week? And they maybe told you a story about the zip line. Did anybody that was at Fall Retreat do the zip line? Woo! Um, and it was called, the, they named this big structure, um, like this high ropes course, and then like a zip line. I want to say it was like a quarter mile zip line. It was really far. Uh, I was really impressed. It was called the mill. They named it the mill. So you might have heard about that if you didn't go to Fall Retreat. You might have heard about a game that we played called Horse Night Rider. Woo! It's like this weird, you'd have to be there. Um, but you have to find your partner. It's just like pandemonium of like people like clawing at each other, trying to find their partner and then get in these different positions. And one time we called a plank on your partner and everybody went crazy, didn't know what to do. It was, it was awesome. So maybe you heard that story. Maybe you heard about the flash mob that happened on Saturday night during dinner. Was anybody in here a part of the flash mob? couple of people, sweet. It, did anyone enjoy the flash mob that was at Fall Retreat? It was like the, during dinner, random people jumped up and all did the synchronized dance. It was pretty awesome. Um, so maybe you heard about that. But if you didn't go to Fall Retreat, and I'm telling you about these stories, but you maybe heard from someone else about the Mill Fall Retreat, maybe you're like, 
Well, I didn't hear those stories that you just said, those three, Horse Knight Rider, Zip Line, and a Flash Mob. I heard other stories about um, people, uh, people's lives changing and the, some of the sessions that we had. Uh, maybe Daniel Grothy's Saturday night session where he spoke about the church, and then we had extended worship. And so you could, I think it would be silly to do this, but hopefully you're following where I'm going with this, but if you didn't go to fall retreat and you heard the stories about people's lives changing, you're like, oh, sweet, that's what the retreat was all about. And then you listen to somebody else's um, recap of fall retreat and you're like, zipline, horse night rider, flash mob. You're like, was this two different retreats? One sounds crazy fun. One sounds very serious and, and spiritual. Or was it the same retreat? Of course it was the same retreat. It's different perspectives and what people want to share. I mean, there was like 450 people that went to fall retreat. And so there's probably 450 perspectives of what they experienced at fall retreat. And, and so when you hear the stories, you hear them maybe differently from different perspectives. And we're going to hopefully draw this into the Bible and talk about the different perspectives that are in the Bible. But even some story, maybe you heard stories from fall retreat the same story from two different perspectives, and maybe the details were a little different. Like my favorite moment at Fall Retreat was uh, on Sunday morning. The, on Sunday morning, the power had been off all morning, and so um, did somebody cheer? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was actually really cool because we woke up and it was cold. There wasn't any heat, and it was kind of like primitive conditions. There was no Wi-Fi, if you could imagine that. There was um, the there was no hot water. That way, we had to get ready in the dark with like a flashlight in the back bathroom. If you took a shower, you were taking a shower with a flashlight, however that works. Um, and so uh, it was dark. And so all everybody was like, are we still going to meet? How are we going to meet? And Daniel Grothy, we all, we met. And then Daniel Grothy got up and kind of joked about that and said, well, we're going to meet the same way people have been meeting as Christians for 2000 years without electricity. We're still going to meet. And um, so we, we met um, in this, in this room, there's like 450 people in there. And we literally had acoustic worship like sometimes you do acoustic worship and it's like you have a guitar but it's still plugged in you have mics but there was no mics no plugging in anything because there was no power whatsoever the whole city was out of power and so we had two acoustic guitars Aaron and Becca were leading us with their voices and we had a couple like Adam uh, Sean and Daniel Grothy had different drums and they were doing the beats and it was awesome does anybody think that that was just a really awesome time of our tree and then during the song. Do you remember this? During Amazing Grace. Of course you do. It's probably my favorite moment at Flower Retreat. We were singing Amazing Grace um, just without any, uh, just barely hearing the acoustic guitars with all of our voices singing Amazing Grace. And then all of a sudden, do you remember? The lights came on and it was like, yeah, the lights. And, and I remember all the lights coming on at the same time. Like I just remember it being a dark room and all the lights coming on. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, praise God, we have lights and the heat will come back on soon. And, um, and so I just remember all the lights coming on at once, this awesome moment. And then I rewatched because we had a camera with batteries filming the service. So we'd have, uh, so we could get the sermon uh, and, and the, we thought the worship was, would be pretty cool to film because um, it was totally acoustic. And so we were filming it and I, I watched, rewatched the footage on Friday, yesterday or two days ago, of the moment when the lights came back on. And I realized it really wasn't that cool. It was like a light came back on 
And then like a couple seconds later, another light came back on. But in my head, I just remembered this moment when all the lights came back. Like, I can remember it. Is anybody else with me? Or like, all the lights came on at the same time. But I rewatched the footage and it was a light came on, which I guess in the grand scheme of things, if it was a dark room, one light is a lot brighter than no light. So um, maybe that's just how I imagined it. But um, so anyways, so the detail, if you are watching the footage and if like if you didn't go to Fire Street and you watched the footage and, or you heard my um, story, my reaccount of the lights coming back on, you would hear two t- t- seemingly contradictory reports. Did the lights all come on at once, like I remembered, or was it like kind of like one at a time? And, um, and so you could like find some of these kinds of things in the Bible where details differ, and you could say, oh, the whole thing must just be trash. It must all be made up because there's two contradictory details. And to that, we would just say, no, duh. Like, it's just how we rememorize things, how our memory works. It's how we tell stories. It's how stories get passed on. Whether all the lights came on at once or one big light came on and then a couple lights came on um, at different times, it doesn't really matter. It still happened. The, the power outage, the fall retreat, the whole thing, it still happened. It's just different maybe details of the story were seen from different perspectives. Does that make sense? Okay, hopefully it does, because this, uh, this month we've been talking about the topic Bible myth-busting, and um, we're, we're going to talk about um, potentially self-contradictions in the Bible today, and so I kind of told, retold that story to get to where we're going to go in a little while. But uh, we began this month with actual myths about the Bible, so joking about what people think is in the Bible, but actually it's a myth, it's not in the Bible. Then we went on to, I think, more serious things, and I took the perspective of like an atheist potentially views the Bible, someone who's very skeptical, someone who does not believe, views the Bible as if it's a myth book. They view the Bible as if it's just folklore, if it's just made up. And so we're going to bust the idea that it's just made up, that it's just fiction, that it's just myth. And so that's where this month has been going. We, of course, didn't meet last week, but today is the, the conclusion of this series. And so we'll get to that in just a second. But first, some announcements. Do you like announcements? Yes. Um, Me too. Anyways, uh, just two of them. One is if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, if this is your first time, thanks for coming and checking it out. Uh, There's free food and coffee in the back. If you didn't get any, it's free. Um, We do have a service on Friday night called The Mill, and that's our our main service for college and 20-somethings. And Sunday School, which you're a part of right now, is more of a teaching, more of kind of a smaller group. We sit at tables for a reason. We'll do a discussion in a little while. Um, And so it's very teachy. It's kind of nerdy, and that's just what it is. But if you're new, you could fill out a card it's on the table and turn it in as you leave to the, to, the, to the table as you leave. And they'll give you a worship CD, some songs we recorded um, at the mill on a Friday night a long time ago as just a gift. So that's your announcement. And the next announcement is just next month as Sunday school. We always take uh, topics per month. We've just been doing that. It's kind of our tradition. And so next month's topic is systematic theology. And so uh, be prepared for that, that the topic will change. Next week, we'll talk about theology and the system of systematic theology. Those are your announcements. Um, let's move on. So this month, we've really only been talking about a few things. And th- this is kind of uh, put down in your notes. If you're taking notes, uh, I tried to, it, it might not be very clear what, what's going on in your notes, but this is the types of confusing passages that I could think of when, when we go to the Bible, 
um, what types of things could potential um, atheists, skeptics look at and say, look, this, this book is not worthy to be called Scripture. It's not worthy to be true. Um, here's some reasons why. And these are types of difficult or confusing passages. And I had, I had four types, and we talked about two of these already this month, the translational or scribal. These are things where potentially a scribe along the way in history, since um, most of the history of the Bible was handwritten, hand-copied, potentially there was errors that, that a scribe could have made uh, copying from one manuscript to another, and, and those errors, those scribal things, those translational things, are, if you open up your text of Scripture, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you can look and see that some, most Bibles have notes down at the bottom of the page saying, like, this manuscript says this or that, and these things, for the most part, are very small. They're few and far between. They are, um, they, they, it's not like one passage is totally contradictory to the other passage. Just like, well, in some manuscripts, this word is here, but this word that also means pretty much the same thing is used in a different manuscript. And we explained a lot of that, talked about that. You could listen to it on podcasts once we get those up, which uh, should be soon. So anyways, we talked about that. Then we talked about science and the Bible, how the Bible isn't a scientific textbook, and it shouldn't be compared to scientific textbooks, but rather the Bible is written in an ancient worldview in ancient times, and so therefore we need to just explain that and think through that and not expect that the Bible would be 100% scientifically accurate to 2011 standards. Well, it wasn't written in 2011, and so therefore it's written in an ancient context. We talked about that, I think, two uh, Sundays ago. And so this Sunday, I'm going to try to talk about two different things, difficult passages. I'll explain what that means later, and self-contradictions in the Bible. We might be talking, uh, trying to figuratively bite off too much that we can't chew in the hour that we have for Sunday school, but we will try to talk about these two things, beginning with, if you're taking notes, uh, self-contradictions. And so uh, the self-contradictions, um, we talked about this a little when we did scribal translational issues in the Bible. And we talked about, uh, I think I used the example of one of David's mighty men killed so many guys with a spear. Like a random passage in First King or Second Kings. And then for Samuel has the same, or Chronicles has the same account of this guy one of David's men killing a guy, guys with spear. One passage says 300. The other passage says 800. Well, which one is it? Well, we've come to find out that um, it was probably a scribal error that entered into the text as copies were made by hand. Someone thought the three was actually an eight. I kind of kid because it's, of course, ancient Hebrew, um, and they write out their um, uh, numbers. Not They don't have the Roman numerals. or not even Roman. What are our numbers? Greek numbers? Arabic numbers? Really? Sweet. Anyways, um, learn something new in Sunday school every week. So, um, so we talked about that, how that's probably just a copyist error, and we explained it, that that's really not that big of a deal. Like, the, the guy killed a lot of guys with a spear. That's the record. That's the account. Was it 300? Was it 800? Well, we, it was probably three. I think we figured out that I could be wrong. You can go back and listen to it. I think we figured out that it was probably 300, and the error is that someone uh, said there was 800 at some point because maybe potentially they couldn't see, and so they copied an 8 instead of a 3. And so it's really not that big of a deal. It's a copyist error, but it is contradictory. One says 8, one says 3, but it's, it's just a copyist error. And explaining that gives us credit that the Bible is this ancient book with few and far between copyist errors, and the ones that we have 
really don't mean that much. I mean, the guy killed a lot of guys with a spear. That's the point. And it's not even that big of a point in the Bible. The guy's kind of seemingly a nobody. But back then, I'm sure he was a somebody. But anyways, it doesn't really matter to us Christians now living, believing in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, how many guys this guy killed with a spear. Hopefully that makes sense and it's not too heretical, right? Okay. Anyways, so Today we're going to talk about where the account of the story differs. So this isn't a copyist error. This would be like what I was talking about when I was recapping Fall Retreat, how different people could have different stories or different people who witnessed the same event, like the lights coming on during the song Amazing Grace, could have said things maybe a little differently from their memory or um, they just wanted to tell it a little differently because for them, I mean, this moment at Fall Retreat was just pretty awesome. It was like just a, like maybe a spiritual thing or just like a, wow, this is awesome. Like God is here. He's with us. Um, you know, the power came back on. We're going to have heat. This is awesome. It was just cool. And so me in my head thinking through that probably just uh, as I remember it, think all the lights came on at the same time, but they didn't. But anyways, so self-contradictions, the account of the story differs. And a lot of uh, atheists, I've, I've been researching atheist websites um, throughout this series as I've been preparing point to the resurrection story of Jesus Christ because all four Gospels account the resurrection stories and the women going to the tomb and finding it empty. Um, Many of the atheists point to this story because this story is a very important story in the text of our scripture, how Jesus was not in the tomb Three days later, his body uh, was resurrected from death. And so it's a very important story. So atheists will point to this story and say, look, this story as it is retold in all four Gospels, has some of the details that are different. And because some of the details uh, are different, well, then maybe the whole story was just made up. Maybe it's all false, and the Bible is not true. And so this story, this contradictory, or this this story with its four uh, accounts— has differences, it does, and so atheists will point to it as like their, their, you know, their capstone story of like why the Bible can't be true because of the resurrection story. But let's talk about it for a second. The facts don't change about the story. Uh, Jesus' body was placed in the tomb of Joseph Arimathea. That's in all four gospel accounts. The tomb is visited by a small group of women on Sunday morning. That's in all four accounts. Jesus' body is gone. That's in all four accounts. And they see a vision of angels or an angel saying that Jesus has risen. That's in all four accounts. So what are the differences? Well, here they are. In Matthew, one angel in white appears to Mary and the other Mary. Uh, That's Matthew. In Mark... One young man in white appears to the two Marys and a lady named Simone. Simone. Um, In Luke, two men in dazzling garments appear to the two Marys, and uh, Luke mentions Joanna. And in Luke and in John, two angels in white appear to Mary Magdalene uh, alone. Or she's not. doesn't say she was alone. It just says Mary Magdalene was there. And then it says that Jesus was there for a brief moment of time before he told her that not to touch her. It's this interesting story in the Gospel of John. So all four Gospels reaccounting the story of the women going to the tomb and finding it empty. Did you catch some of the differences as I was reading, telling you? Some of the accounts say there was two angels. Some of the accounts say one angel. Some of the accounts say Mary was there. Some say both Marys were there. Uh, one says Mary and the two Marys and one woman. Another one says two Marys and a different woman. So what really happened? How, how can we um, 
in our heads as Christians say, yeah, the Bible is true, but these, these reports do differ. Um, what's going on here? And, and for the women, how many women were there on Sunday morning at the tomb? Um, in my mind, that, that isn't very like, contradictory. Like John doesn't say, Mary went alone to the tomb. There was no one else with her. It doesn't say that. It just, says, it just tells the story of Mary Magdalene. So I guess we can assume, as, as believers in the text of Scripture, that there were at least the two Marys and the two other ladies that the Gospels mention. Um, so there was four of them, but John chooses only to talk about Mary. Um, Matthew chooses only to talk about Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Um, and, and the other Gospels, uh, Mark and is it Luke, decide to include um, the other two women, one of the other two women that were there. And so it's like, well, we could just assume that a small group of women went to the tomb. Maybe there was babies too. Maybe there was even more than the four names that we actually have. Who knows? Um, we don't know for sure how many were there. We just know that, that certain gospels mention certain women who were there. And so it's, if, if one gospel said Mary went alone, there was no one else with her, and then another gospel said Mary and the other Mary went, then that would be like very contradictory reports. But instead it just says, you know, Mary went to the tomb. It tells the story of Mary. So for whatever reason, the author John just to- chose to write about Mary and not the other women. And so to me, that's not that, it's not, it's like, well, that's just a different detail that different people from different perspectives are including. And the, 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 the details about the angels, that doesn't really bother me either. Maybe one woman saw one angel and another woman saw two angels. Was it a vision? Were the angels hard to see? Was, was maybe Jesus there as well? Because John talks about that and they were confused as to whether he was an angel or not because Mary has this conversation with Jesus and she thinks he's the gardener. Like what, maybe the, the vision of the angels was confusing or hard to see. To me, the, those details are in fact just that. They're the details of the story that, that, don't, that, that aren't the facts. They're the things that are like the, um, I have it written here, that, that the differences in the accounts are the questions of if, are not the questions of if, but are the, of how and which. Like how many women, what women were there, not the whole story itself is, is the women went to the tomb, they found it empty, and then something awesome happened where they would all later, and the disciples included, would see Jesus, the resurrected uh, body of Jesus. He wasn't a ghost he was the resurrected body because they touched his hands. It wasn't just a vision they saw. No, they actually touched him, ate with him, hung out with him. And that's the awesome miracle that we as Christians can believe in, despite there being different details that the authors include. Hopefully that, that, that summarizes and, and hopefully explains um, why we can still trust the Bible, despite that the, the four authors had four different um, they decided to include different details. Another one is uh, the P- Peter's story of the denial of Christ. The this, this story where Peter denies Christ three times and a rooster crows. And there's different, all four Gospels have this account. And there's seemingly different details of when Peter denied Christ to whom he was talking to at which particular time. And then did the rooster crow once or did the rooster crow twice? Or how do you even, I mean, cock-a-doodle-doo, is that one? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on roosters anyways. But anyways, um, all four Gospels 
have the story of Peter denying Christ, but the deta- if you read it and look at it, the details of where Peter was and who he denied uh, Christ to seem to be maybe not contradictory, but they're just different details. Was it a woman? Was it a group of people? That, and, but he was talking to the woman of the group, so on and so forth. But to me, the details not lining up perfectly are almost evidence or proof that we have, in fact, four separate accounts of something going on. For example, if, if you and your friends witnessed something um, like a murder or something, sorry to be Debbie Downer, but if you witnessed uh, something bad that happened and then the cops were investigating you and interrogating you about what you saw and every single one of you said the exact same thing in the exact same way with all the little details exactly in order, what would those cops think? They would probably think, wait, you guys... There's something fishy going on here because you all have the perfect story memorized. Did you all get together and um, um, plan out what you were going to say before you said it? Because this story, how they all line up, is too good to be true. And if it's too good to be true, probably is. It's not true. And so, so the fact that the details, the small details of stories from different accounts almost goes to show that, yes, we in fact have four different separate accounts of these stories, which to me brings the, the light of truth and, and, and says, yeah, we actually have four different accounts. They're different. They're not these guys getting together and planning out a little story to retell and, and kind of get, be in cahoots with each other, but there, it is actually four different accounts. And I put this quote up uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'll put it up one more time, and then, and then we'll kind of move on to another point here today. But to the skeptic, a parallel passages of the Bible serve one purpose. So to the atheist, to the skeptic, to the non-believer, the parallel passages serve one purpose. Uh, to find the few occasions where they differ, to find the contradictions, to find the differences and say, look, here it is, the, the two different contradictory reports. We have to throw out the whole thing because these two little details don't line up. However, to the believer... The great consistency of these records should go to boost our faith. The few occurrences of textual corruption or insignificant topics is reason for sobriety, but certainly not a reason to reject the whole of Scripture and the God who gave it. And so we'll kind of conclude that portion of the, 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 the contradictory details in stories um, now, and hopefully I've explained it enough that, that gives us faith in Scripture that, that, you know, I just showed you two of the biggest contradictory stories in the Bible, the resurrection and Peter's denial of Christ, that atheists and skeptics will say, look, the Bible must be trash because of these details don't line up. And hopefully, I mean, we just talked about it and it's like, yeah, that didn't seem like that big of a deal to me. Um, It's just how memory works. It's just how stories are retold. So anyways, um, we're kind of moving on now to a different topic in in some way, but of of course related. And I want to give you a discussion question. And we at the Mill Sunday School at least I do. I, take, we, we, I believe that discussion is important, a time for us to think and discuss with those people around us. And this question comes from uh, someone who emailed me this question, and I've been thinking about it and figuratively chewing on it for like two weeks now, and I just think it's an awesome question, and it's like, what lies at the foundation of your faith? And so the discussion question is going to be, which option do you choose? And I'm going to um, assign you an option. So 
Um, you'll just have to bear with your group that you have that option and not the other one. But I want you to think about it. And then when we discuss, we can kind of go back and forth and hear the other side of the option. And so get into groups, um, discuss one of these two things, um, take it seriously. I I guess I have to give you the discussion question first, huh? So it's one of these two options. It, It kind of needs some explaining too. So hold off on the groups just yet, but I'll put them up here. I'll read them and hopefully explain them well enough for you to understand what it is I'm actually asking. But which option? Either number one or number two. The first one says this. We believe in the Bible as scripture. Okay? The Bible tells the story of Jesus, so we believe in him and the God whose nature he is in. So the option number one is, okay, we believe in the Bible. We have the text of scripture. We believe in this book. And this book Uh, tells us about Jesus, so therefore we believe in Jesus because we believe in the book. The book stands as like a foundation of our faith. And so that's option number one. Option number two is we believe that the nature of God is that of Jesus. So we believe, it's almost like you, it's kind of like a chicken or egg problem in in some ways, if you know what that is. Um, So number two is we believe that the nature of God is that of Jesus. So we know the stories of Jesus, God who came to this earth, Told him, told about himself, who, that he was God, uh, did miracles, was resurrected from the dead. So we believe that the nature of God is that of Jesus. The Bible tells us his story. Therefore, we read the Bible as scripture. Do you see the potentially subtle difference between option number one and option number two? But it's, it's subtle, but it's huge. Like what stands at the core of your faith of maybe why you believe or why you would tell an atheist why you believe? Is it the Bible or is it Jesus? And then, and then do you go from the Bible to Jesus or do you go from Jesus to believing in the Bible? And, and, and so I'm going to give you, uh, assign you, if you're on the right side of the room, which is this side, uh, you're, you're option number one. If you're on the left side of the room, you'll be option number two. So get into groups, consider, um, try to make a case for option number two or one, depending on what side of the room you're on. Ready, go. All right, if you could wrap up your conversations. Well, I, I realize I didn't give you very long to talk, but we're going to continue this, this discussion um, as a big group. And so um, maybe I'll come down here. I want to hear from this side, the right side of the room first, and hear uh, what you have to say, because you guys, you, this was the side that was option number one, right? Uh, tried to do that. Okay, good. Um, so which is the side of the Bible. You believe in the Bible. Shh. Okay. Uh, this side, who wants to share maybe a case for uh, option number one? Anybody? Yes, thank you. Alex Randall. So he's saying it's, it's physical, it's tangible. We have the Bible with us right now. Of course, Jesus is with us right now too. But like I personally have never heard an audible voice from God, but I, I do have felt leadings and guidings, but what we have tangibly for our theology and our knowledge of who he is, is the Bible. And so, bam, thank you, Alex. Anybody else from this? That was excellent. If that's the only comment, I think that's a great comment. But anybody else? Yes, go ahead. So he said that Jesus is the center of the text of Scripture and the prophets, it is inspired that maybe uh, going along with what Alex said, it is the physical thing that we have, but Jesus is at the center of it. It's good. We'll take one more comment. I see Josh's hands first. Sorry, Dan. And then we'll go over here. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. So he's going, he's going back to this idea of we have the Scripture. Scripture is uh, um, 
transforms our minds. It, it is spiritual. It is powerful. And so that's what we have. Okay, this side of the room. Option number two. We believe that the nature of God is that of Jesus. The Bible tells a story. Therefore, we read the Bible as Scripture. Yeah, my friend Bobby. So if you heard him, um, he started off with the, the Scripture where Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, you study the Scriptures, but you don't actually know God. And so is that possible for us to do today? Sure. There's people that know more Scripture than I do and don't believe in Jesus. And so how can that be? Well, it's because... The, the Bible isn't our source. Jesus is our source is kind of what you were going for. Yeah, Aaron Higgins. Um, well, <laughs> Did you hear that? He said, uh, the quote is that we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, not a, a Bible-shaped hole in our heart. <laughs> Figuratively, of course. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to repeat that point before you, you continue saying, because that's a really great point, that God revealed himself, like say to Abraham, Way before the story of Abraham was written down, God revealed himself through Jesus maybe a couple, uh, maybe 20 years, 10 years before it was actually written down. So the, 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 the preceding thing is God revealing himself, then the, the, the book comes out of that. Continue. Yeah, I think that's a good, good place to end too. Sorry if you, you had, I see a couple hands raised, but that's a really good place to end because it's, it's complementary. We have the text of scripture and we have God. I found this image online of, of Jesus holding the Bible, which um, is just this awesome image that we have a God who came to earth, Jesus. And, and yet we, Jesus died, was resurrected, ascended into heaven and and now we have a record of that thing happening, that event in history where God came to us, and we have the text of Scripture. So I really think it's both and. I don't know that there's a winner here this morning, either the right side or the left side of the room, where we could say, yeah, it's all Jesus, no Bible. Or we could say, yeah, it's all Bible and no Jesus. Like, who would do that? That's silly. Um, we, we wouldn't, as Christians, do that. And, and so I, I think the, the discussion hopefully was interesting, but it's one that I've been pondering for a while. And if I had to lean to a side, um, I, w- I think I would choose the left side. Um, so you guys are the, the unofficial winners, because there's really, the, the debate is, is both and. But I just thought that, that Jesus, um, and I'll say why I'm saying what I'm saying, I think Jesus, we believe that Jesus is the perfect representation of God on this earth. We place our faith in Jesus for salvation. We don't, and this, this might sound harsh, but we don't place our salvation in a book. We place our salvation in Jesus. We don't believe that, you know, this book has to be, we don't worship a book, right? I mean, that, that, that goes, that, that's not heretical. We just, what we do, we worship Jesus, and this book is about Jesus. So if I had to lean to one side or the other in this whole debate, I would lean towards the side of Jesus, that Jesus is the one in John chapter 1, where the Word was with God and the Word was God. That's Jesus, not the Bible. And so, but, but today, of course, not to neglect the option number one, that, that we do have the Bible for studying theology, for knowing who God is. We have to worship God in both spirit and in truth. And so hopefully that discussion brings to light maybe this bigger picture of where the Bible should fall in our worship towards God. We should worship God and Jesus as the perfect representation of God on this earth that came and died and then ascended into heaven. And the Bible is, is potentially at the center of the Bible is the story of that 
coming, the God came to the earth. And so with that, we'll, we'll kind of go a different direction now. I, I, we're kind of, it's, if it seems like we're all over the place this morning, it's because we are. It's the middle of Sunday school. That's what we do. We're just all over the place. Just kidding. We're usually, um, we usually talk about one thing and make more of, of a direct point. But so we talked about self-contradictions. We talked about maybe where the Bible should be placed within our thoughts and worship to God and that the Bible is a book about God. Um, and, and, but let's move on to um, what I'm just calling the difficult passages of Scripture. And, and I, would, I would go so far to say that the Bible is potentially um, not a seeker-sensitive book. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But I think we as Christians sometimes try to make seeker-sensitive, maybe in Hollywood or something, Christians get together, they make a movie, and they want the movie to be very seeker-sensitive. They want it to be very nice and cute, and of course, no uh, murder scenes in that movie, or violent scenes, or sex scenes in the movie. They want to make it very nice, very seeker-sensitive, very cute and lovely, and they they make it, you know, the way Christians make stuff. But when it comes to the Bible— the Bible is not seeker sensitive. Like it's not nice and neat and pretty little stories. There are stories of people dying horribly. There are stories of rape in here. There are stories of murder and destruction. There are sex scenes in this book. This book would not be rated G. It would be rated R or worse. Um, There's the kinds of things that happen in this book. Some of them are difficult. And what I mean by that are you know, I think sometimes um, atheists will say, you know, you as Christians, so this is an atheistic accusation or a skeptic's accusation of what Christians do. You know, they say, you Christians have this nice, neat, little, pretty God that, that loves everybody and is so nice. And yet when you read the context of Scripture, you read about an entirely different God. You read about a God who comes across as very mean, a God who you should fear sometimes. And this guy, um, a very famous atheist uh, by the name of Richard Dawkins, I've read some of his books, he has a lot of thoughts um, coming out uh, these days. Kind of the new atheist movement is kind of what he's leading this charge. Um, he's a very strong atheist. And he has this quote that I think he's very proud of. He reads it at often uh, some of his debates and meetings. And I'm sure you can find it online. But it's a quote from his book, The God Delusion, which is about how he thinks people that believe in God are delusional. But he says, the God of the Bible is, and I'll read this quote, and it's got a lot of big words, so I apologize in advance for uh, not pronouncing them correctly. But he says, the God of the Bible is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving, a control freak, vindictive, bloodthirsty, an ethnic cleanser, uh, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, that means, just means narcissistic, uh, sadomasochistic, capricious, uh, men, a malevolent bully. Gosh, that's so many big words. Um, but what he's saying is the God of the Bible According to him, according to Richard Dawkins, an atheist, a skeptic, he says the God of the Bible is a mean, jealous, horrible God. And so the kind of the argument goes, if God is so mean in the Bible, why believe in him? He must not be true. And I don't really understand how that argument 
really goes, but I, I hear it a lot. Like atheists and skeptics would be like, hey, you know, have you even read the book you so adamantly say you believe in? If you read it, you will find stories of God doing some pretty horrible things. And so how could you possibly believe in a God that would do horrible things? And there's lists. And so I found some of these lists online of, of God doing horrible things. Uh, one of the lists came from, came from uh, an atheistic website, skeptics website called evilbible.com. You can go there and look at the same list. But they listed out all the things that God does that were horrible or evil. And, and it lists them out. And some of them were just like, wait, God didn't really do that. And then he has this one quote that says, just about every other page of the Old Testament has God killing somebody. It's like, well, let's not exaggerate. It's not every other page has God killing somebody. But, um, but he does present, like he presents Joshua 6, that God orders the attack and the killing of all the creatures city, uh, of the city of Jericho, the men, women, um, and children. But, but if you read that story, it's not God commanding the killing. It's just like, that's what the people of God did. They took the city for the Lord. So it is the people of God doing it, but it's, it's, not, it's not, God didn't really order it. Or Judges 21, so the, this website, evilbible.com, says God orders the murder of all the people except for virgin girls who were forcibly taken and raped and murdered, um, or raped and married, sorry, um, whatever. Um, so that's jo- Joshua, Judges 21. Um, and, and I reread that story, and it's like, well, God didn't order that, but the people of God did did it kind of in the name of God? Is, is that, you know, just as bad? Or, but I, th- I think there, 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 there ha- does have to be some pushback when, when websites or Richard Dawkins says, you know, the God of the Bible is just evil. Every page, every other page is God doing something evil and murdering somebody. I was like, well, let's look at the scripture and let's look at every other page and find that, you know, God, it's, it's not all it's not as bad as maybe some of those lists make it out to be. The God of the Old Testament is loving, abounding in love, slow to anger. You know, these passages are in the Old Testament. But we do have to realize that we can't ignore passages where God does things that we would say are not nice. <laughs> um, for instance, uh, we have to take these things seriously. We can't just ignore them. Exodus 22, where God orders the death of witches and sorcerers. It's like, man, you know, if you went to a Halloween party, someone's dressed as a witch, kill them. Just kidding. Um, but God does order, God does want his people to be holy. And so there's, there's commands in the Old Testament to punish, to even kill those that are going against God. There's passages, for example, 1 Samuel 15, where the Lord does command the, the killing of everyone, the Amalekites, does command the killing of all the Amalekites, meaning men, women, and children, and their animals. It's like, why would God command people to go kill other people? That story is in the Bible, and, and we can see it as like, gosh, that's a, that's a, a pretty, you know, just— a horrible story? Or how do we look at that? How do we know that our God is good and loving and yet read the stories about where he doesn't seem to be very nice? Um, how, how do we go about that? And I think there's this great, great quote from this book that became a movie. You probably saw the movie. Maybe you read the book too. Uh, C.S. Lewis is the lion, the witch, the wardrobe. Have you read the book, anybody? Okay, sweet. All right. Wow, that's quite a few. I thought you guys just watched movies. Anyways, um, in the book, one of my favorite quotes, maybe it's one of your quotes too, 
little Lucy is talking to Mr. Beaver. They're talking about who Aslan is. And of course, C.S. Lewis is making a comparison of Aslan to Jesus. Lucy says, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, no, he's not safe. Who said anything about Aslan being safe? He's not safe, but he's good. And I think that perspective of, of who God is, is important. That we, you know, we as Christians don't present to the world a nice, neat, cute God that, that, it, that he's not safe. He's not nice and neat and cute and safe. He, but he is a good God and he is a just God. And maybe an image like this, this is Michelangelo's painting on the 16th uh, ceiling, chapel ceiling of the creation of the sun and the moon. This just looks like an old man that you wouldn't want to mess with. And I think it's that kind of idea of, of fearing God and knowing that God is just and he is righteous and he is perfect and we are not is important. And I'll kind of close with this idea of, of justice. This is Lady Justice based off the uh, Roman goddess that is blind and holding scales but holds a sword as well to deliver judgment. And, and justice is a good thing. Um, if, if you've ever gotten anything stolen from you, I'm sure all of us have gotten something stolen from us at some point of value. Um, we as Christians, you know, will often pray prayers like, well, I hope when he goes through my stuff, he'll read my Bible and then he'll get convicted and then he'll return. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? Yeah, you have. Um, but then as days progress and you realize you're not getting your stuff back, then your prayers go to like, God, give me justice. Would you make that guy have a horrible day that stole all my stuff? Would you just blow up all the stuff that he stole from me? I don't know, but you want justice. And so what if the police found the guy that stole your stuff and there he is with your backpack or purse. It's got my iPod right there. Give me my stuff back. But the police are like, nah, we're going to go ahead and let him go. Be like, what? No, I want justice. Justice is a good thing. And our God is a just God. And the things that happen potentially in the Old Testament as well as the New of God delivering justice, I think um, have to come from a mindset that is different from our American mindset of um, that we as Americans are, feel entitled to something, that if we live a good life, if we don't murder anybody, if we're not the new Hitler, then God must be our homeboy, and we are entitled to, to believe in him, um, and he is entitled to give us what we deserve. And you, and you think that that's a good thing. No, that's not a good thing. You are not perfect. You, we've all sinned and fallen short of God, and if God really is just, then he will potentially punish us. He will punish us for the sins, the things that we have done to go against him. Um, and, and that is getting what we deserve. Uh, punishment potentially for turning our backs upon him as humanity, as individuals. But at the same time, I think someone said it best when they said that Jesus, I think Josh said it, uh, that Jesus is the center of this book. And, and when you believe in Jesus, when you see Jesus for who he is, you realize that, that you realize a couple things come together at the crossroads of who Jesus is. You realize that this world is messed up. You want to see how messed up this world is? Well, look at Jesus on the cross. You want to see uh, God's full judgment of humanity? Well, look at Jesus on the cross, and you will see that judgment. You want to see how God deals with it all, but at the same time, you want to see how loving God is? Then consider Jesus, God coming down, 
being the center of, of this book that we believe in and we hold as Scripture and showing us that God is both just and loving and He took punishment upon Himself. And yes, the world is messed up and that's how messed up, that's how scandalous the cross is that our God had to die for us. And of course, that story is recorded in the text of Scripture that we believe in. And so with that said, hopefully I've concluded um, today and kind of concluded or wrapped up the things that I wanted to talk about this month. But with that, let's pray. And God, we do tell you that we love you. We thank you for the book that you've given to us. We thank you for the text of Scripture that, God, we, we can worship you. We can have this book and learn about you. But, God, we ultimately don't worship the book. We worship you and who you are. You are our Savior. You are awesome. You are a good God who loves us, and God, we love you. Um, we try to love you back, but God, you've given us grace and peace and truth and this, this scripture to know about you and to love you. So God, we're just in honor of you. We, we love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, peace out. You're dismissed.